0: Hello and welcome to In Star Trek We Trust, a Star Trek podcast. My name is Ethan. I'm a host.
1: I'm also a host. My name is Kevin.
0: And today we will be discussing the inner fight, the penultimate episode of Star Trek Lower Deck Season 4. And- I think this episode oh, aired about a
1: year ago, didn't it? Huh? I think this, oh, ep- right. I think this episode aired about a year ago, right?
0: An Old Friends, New Planet, the, yes. the ultimate of episode of Star Trek Lower Deck Season 4. So, some uh, fun facts here. The Inner Fight is directed by Brandon Williams, who has directed some things before, so nothing new there. Mike McMahon wrote the episode, meaning that Mike McMahon wrote the first episode and the penultimate episode. Whereas in past seasons, he has written the finale every season. So he wrote the
1: first episode of this season and the the second to last one?
0: Yep. In the first season, he wrote the first and the last. Second season, first and last. Oh,
1: oh. I thought you meant he just did the finales, but okay. Yeah.
0: Third season, he only did the last. Okay. But he's always done the last until this episode. Now, who did write the last? Well, first off, the last episode was directed by Bob Suarez, uh, a name we've seen before. Writer, first time we are seeing this writer here I believe yes okay so May Darman now interestingly May Darman is a <clears throat> I don't know what they call them member cast member of Upright Citizens Brigade LA I believe yeah LA doing improv so that's a thing which is cool Upright Citizens Brigade it's pretty funny mm-hmm. uh, I've been to the New York one only, and I used to watch, this, but it had a TV show. But anyway, the interesting part is on the IMDb. So <clears throat> previous, you know, screen work is Solar Opposites as an assistant to Mike McMahon, okay. Lower Decks, an assistant to Mike McMahon, 2019, Instinct, an assistant to Alex Kurtzman, and Discovery in 2019, an assistant to Alex Kurtzman. So it's uh, and then writer on Solar Opposites and Lower Deck. So, um, it's interesting the jobs that people have to take before they can be a writer, which is probably what they're trying to do.
1: Right. Yeah, we were talking about this before we began recording, and I told you that yeah, DC Fontana, who wrote on the original series, had a similar um sort of upbringing, if you will. She was uh. She was Roddenberry's assistant, and then she just gradually moved up and up and up, and then she be- ended up writing a number of episodes of the original series and the animated series, and I think yep. one episode, of and next-gen, and then one episode of DS9. So, yeah, she moved up in a very similar way.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's going to
1: be a requirement, I assume, to have some writing background if you're going to be somebody's production assistant of some way. Yeah,
0: yeah, you see a lot of production assistants. and
1: things. Or maybe you just learn the process.
0: But I say, hey, great yeah. first effort on, on a Star Trek show, right?
1: Yeah, totally. Well
0: done, yeah. May, Darman.
1: So I think right off the bat, the thing about this episode that jumped out at me was the play on words for the inner light. Aside from, you know, to the inner light, aside from the commonality in the titles, the two episodes have not shared nothing in common with each other.
0: No, it's more of a literal yes. explanation of Mariner's situation.
1: But it's a very lower-dex way of doing it. It's, it's perfect. Yeah, just,
0: it's a fun little twist, a fun little word play.
1: Now, before I tell you to explain the plot of this, I just want to say one thing about this episode that I, that I really – one thing I want to observe that I really liked. It occurred to me when watching it, like, the third time, I can recall us in the early part of reviewing Lower Decks, like in the first maybe two seasons. I think we sort of expressed some, maybe me more than you, some slight, I would say very slight frustration at Mariner. In that it just seems like, you know, us wanting to get to the bottom of why is she the way she is? Why is she always like... You know, resisting going up, moving up. Why is she? Oh, why does she? Why does she seem to go out of her way to be an annoying person when it comes to being in Starfleet? You know, authority. And I like that this episode gets to the bottom of that and sort of explains it all in a way that makes sense. I because I because I, I thought to myself, is Mariner's character going to eventually get tired? Are we ever going to find out why is she like this? Is she just going to be? Mm-hmm. Is this just going to be all she is? And yes. I like that the yes. show decided to go into that.
0: I agree, and I think yeah. it was very well done. And perhaps that's why McMahon was writing this episode because it was such an important character mm-hmm. um, moment for Mariner. Also, I do remember though there have been a few times that we started to get a little bit frustrated because it seems like Mariner had gotten over her issues.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I was going to say like
0: this. So get yeah, so I guess this in a way is explaining that. It hasn't but I hope been, that now can finally put it to bed for real, because if it just starts up again, then I'll be. It wasn't. I mean,
1: this I mean, wasn't something, was that something that was on my mind a number of times over the years. Like I didn't think, like, "Oh, are we ever gonna?" You know, like I, I didn't forget about it, but like it also wasn't an issue for me anymore.
0: It was only an issue, like I said, when they would give us a good episode where she overcame it. And realize, no, I am committed to Starfleet. And then the next episode she was right back. So I I'm just sure hope that's one okay. we're on the hope she's on the straight and narrow now to some extent.
1: I think at one time you said to it, it's like it's like Michael Burnham but done right.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: Yeah. Because <laughs> it was similar, but it, it, this one it made more sense. But yeah. Um sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off earlier. Um that's yeah. I so I like that they decided to kind of give us an answer to all of this. And I hope, to your point, like this is kind of it and that we're really gonna yeah
0: it was a very good answer and a very great scene and i do have to say i think this may be these two episodes together i think maybe the most what i call classic trek tropes in in a two episode span for uh lower decks because i think they use them but i don't think they use multiple you know bigger trek tropes right in, in one episode Right, so, like I'll bring those up as they come.
1: Yeah, agreed. So yeah, we'll do that. Because I, I do have some comparisons to previous episodes uh in regards to the tropes. So nice. all right, tell us what the episode's about.
0: Uh sure. So it has a nice opening scene where Mariner risks her life to stop these birds that are toxic or venomous or something. hmm um, And it's a fun uh, scene with outpost scientists. You know how she feels about outpost scientists? Yeah. (laughs) And how Joe feels about outpost scientists? Yep. Yep. And they're just as silly and and ridiculous as they've always been. (laughs) Um, But that's all to set up the fact that Mariner has been acting uh, recklessly and and putting herself in unnecessary danger, which sets up the whole trajectory of her story over these episodes. Mm -hmm. So uh, then our crew gets. Missions, and they're instructed to keep Mariner safe because uh, they have a very dangerous mission to go on—to try to get to the bottom of the ship because the ship has been targeting former Starfleet officers mm-hmm. suddenly. So, there—let um, me see—Boimler, Tendy, and Talin... And Rutherford is not there, correct? I don't believe so. Okay, so they they're to go and just check on some monitoring satellite or something, something yeah. very simple. And mm-hmm. the yeah, uh, I'm a, I'm not doing good here.
1: <laughs> well, let me let me uh jump in for a second because I did want to mention something. It does pertain to continuity. So they list off at the beginning. You said they're targeting former Starfleet officers and. It's Seven of Nine, Beverly Crusher. One of them is Nicholas Locarno. Mm -hmm. But I should mention, in line with continuity, if you recall in season three of Picard, they mentioned that Beverly Crusher has been out of Starfleet for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And this does line up with that. I think by the time this episode takes place, she's been out of Starfleet for about a week or two weeks. So it's like right at the beginning of her not being in Starfleet.
0: It is funny that they seem to have picked people that once were, but no longer are, like any character they could think of, including um, Tom Riker.
1: Right, right. So, but, and I like that they all get excited, like, oh, we're going to meet Beverly Crusher. No, you're going after to Nicholas Yeah,
0: so, yeah, Baroness (laughs) thought he was going to meet Beverly Crusher. Right. He was pretty excited.
1: Yeah, he was pretty excited. So, but
0: um, I, I will say, like, I like that it does. The mystery ship comes back into it, and the mystery ship is targeting all these former Starfleet. Now, I don't know how they know these ones are going to be targeted, uh, but Nick Lucarno is one. Right. Now, would you ever be an officer if you never graduated Starfleet? No, I don't right? know. Ooh, they messed up.
1: <laughs> yeah, Starfleet's ranking system sometimes confuses me because.
0: Maybe he was an officer in training.
1: You have crewman and then you have, I guess, ensign, but I don't even know if a crewman you don't have a rank as a crewman, but I don't even but I don't even know if that counts as being an officer. I'm not I have no idea. I think an officer has to have a, an actual rank.
0: Right. I if guess you never leave but, the academy.
1: But we've seen people leave the academy as ensigns. So I don't
0: <laughs> Yeah. But I know like in the military they have like Officer in training corps.
1: Yeah. But then you also have like chief petty officer, like O'Brien. Like O'Brien's not an enlisted yeah. officer. He's, a tr- he's, so yeah, it's weird.
0: Well, let's just say he was an officer in training and that counts to make this work. Sure. Um, so this is, they're going to have a secret safe mission, as I said, to check out the satellite, but there are Klingons nearby. Yep. And it quickly becomes dangerous. So when they get to this planet, what they discover in a classic Trek trope is that there are all of these different species that seem to have been brought together under mysterious circumstances. Mm-hmm. I can't think of any episodes, but I know we've seen this before.
1: We have. I just. I feel like we have too. I just can't. The I can't Gorn. think of one.
0: Well, Kirk and Gorn, for one.
1: Well, so like singular episodes, yes. I mean, or singular species. I, I, do you mean like? A multitude of species, or just like, or just one, they're stuck on a planet with one. Multi
0: well, one, I think they're all relevant. Well,
1: uh, well, I was gonna say. So, Mariner, Mariner, sort of like when Mariner storms off and she winds up getting to the fight with the Klingon. I mean, that made me think of the TNG episode "The Enemy," where Geordi is stranded on a planet with a Romulan. Like wow. I thought of, I thought of that. The, yeah, you know, yeah. the arena, the go- arena, like- the go-
0: right? Yeah, yeah, that's what's brilliant. But the interesting thing is that on this planet, also we have Cardassians. Mm-hmm. A-Cardassian, on. yep. and then eventually we find out that there are, I got right here? Binar Binar's and Orion. Yep. It, uh, and the interesting thing, there's something that very much surprised me. So first they take out a Cardassian, yep. and I would have thought that the Cardassian's um, impressive shoulder muscles would have protected them from a Vulcan neck attack, but it does not.
1: Do they have impressive shoulder muscles or is it just the uniform that's...
0: No, they have the muscles too. Sometimes they wear the ones and you can see them, they go like...
1: Whoop. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, but no, that's they're just as vulnerable as anyone,
1: Actually, It does have a very original series. It does original series vibe to it. Like, it is sort of like Arena done again only instead of just the Gorn. It's a bunch of people who seem to be like, you know, drawn to get... who like be stuck on this planet and have to fight almost for sport or for the entertainment of like what the higher entity is. Like, that's sort of what it seems like, at least at first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I did, which Mariner, is really cool.
0: They convince Mariner that so they have to get to this something to turn it into a distress beacon. Yeah. And they convince Mariner that it's too dangerous to go directly there during the day, and they need to wait and find like a way around. Yeah. She agrees to it. And then they, at this point, also, they tell her that her mom told them they need to keep her safe. she got all mad and defensive about it. But it's all a ruse because, as you said, she sneaks out and encounters this
1: Klingon. Yep. I, I've always liked Klingons, mm-hmm. but I've just, I really, I really liked this Klingon in this episode. Like he was, he just like quickly became like one of my favorite Klingons, like right away because he was so. You know, they get into a fight, but then this, it was, it's like crystal. What was it like crystal? Sort of ice rain. It was like very dangerous rain that was coming down that yeah, they had to raining
0: like, sharp crystals. Yeah,
1: so they have to get into a cave. And they're like, oh, you know, we'll resume fighting later. And while they're in a cave resting, Mariner kind of like spills her guts to him. And then he's giving... But I do really
0: love that the the Klingon says, Mariner wants to keep fighting. The Klingon says, it is too confined for proper combat.
1: Yeah. (laughs) But the Klingon, as they, as Mariner talks to this Klingon and like, he does give her some good advice. And he does, he does make her think about some things. And as far as she's concerned... He's her friend now, and I like when the rain finally clears off and it's morning. He's like, "Okay, let's resume our fight." She goes, "No, we're not fighting now. We're friends now. I'm not fighting you." And he goes, "No, but we must fight."
0: He says, "Klingons do not hug." Yeah, Um, (laughs) like
1: he was the cliched Klingon, but I loved it so much. Like, there's something endearing about Klingons, you know?
0: Totally, especially when they have they're willing to have a little bit more, dare I say, humanity to them, like more. Yes, yes. You know, so that's why because this one was able to let down a warrior. Thing for a well, minute.
1: I think it uh, also, if I could just add one thing about that, like it just, it, 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 it makes me think of the Enterprise episode Judgment, when we find out a little bit more about the Klingon culture, but with, between Archer and his lawyer, his lawyer who resents the way the Klingons have become, how they've become like warriors and like everything's all about honor and senseless bloodshed. I, and it sort of made me, it sort of made you realize that what the Klingons put on in a way is sort of a facade like yeah, they want to fight. They want to you know be strong. They want to be seen as strong, powerful warriors. But really, they're also really wise—a really wise, really great society. And I wish, and I like seeing that aspect of them. And I want—I wish that would be seen explored more on in the series. So I like that this sort of gave us a little bit more of that.
0: Yes, and like any society, you sort of have like the class that's ruling and fighting if they're into that. And then not everybody's going to be totally gung ho about going off and dying for their honor.
1: Yeah, they're not like big, stupid warriors. They're like They're actually very intelligent, very sort of almost introspective people. We just don't get to see that explored all too much.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's great. So the thing he picks up on with Mariner is that says, you wage war with yourself. Yeah. And she denies that, but then she opens up and she says how she got a promotion, but she wanted to lose the promotion because her friend was murdered by a Cardassian. And she said that, and this is great. I love that this is where we really get the deep stuff because Mariner says she wants to be puzzling together the mysteries of life, not waging war. She doesn't want to be a general to send her friends to die. Mm. So in a sense, she doesn't, for all of her bravado, she feels that she didn't join Starfleet to do this. And she points right. out that, that all the wars that have happened since she's been there, there's a war with Klingons, right? And war The, the, the with Dominion War. Dominion War, yep. Cardassians, mm-hmm. yep. So yep. it's really, um, it's pretty interesting. And for anyone that watches the show, Ahsoka. Interestingly, Ahsoka had the same moment where she w- was talking to someone. I won't say who to spoil anything, but she was kind of saying that like. She never got to be a regular Jedi. The Clone Wars started right after she right after she was getting trained. Mm. And she's like, all she's ever known is how to, like, send people to die and how to kill people. Right. She never really had the chance. and so She was kind of resentful that she never got to be a Jedi. All she got to be was a general. Mm. So it was a very interesting parallel. Interesting. Um, and she says that she just wants to stay an ensign. And it was good enough for her friend who died. It's good enough for her. So she's really still warning about this. Yep. And then the Klingon is smart enough to say that, you know, your friend made their choices and they yep. didn't have they didn't have to do that and they did it. And you are not honoring your friend by holding yourself back like that.
1: Well, I guess. Your friend say-
0: did what they wanted to do, and you need to do what you want to do. And, and mariner f- needed the of the Klingon.
1: And that friend yeah. is Cadet Sito. Right. Who was in the TNG episodes? The First Duty, and oddly enough, the episode Lower Decks.
0: Isn't that amazing they've connected us to Lower Decks?
1: Yeah, so you watched The First Duty, in, I guess, in preparation, well, for, just for, really for the connections to this episode. And I got to say, like, I was not expecting it to go that hard into all of that. I mean, what did you think of all of that? Just really, it, it became sort of like a sequel and a prequel to The First Duty, which I found very interesting.
0: Brilliant. It was fantastic for some reason, I didn't remember the first duty. I'm sure I have seen it, but I really didn't remember it. But yeah. in fact, if you watched it on your suggestion, it is a fantastic episode. Uh-huh. It really is like one of the greats.
1: Yeah. And as anybody um, knows who have seen the first duty, I mean, it's, it's about covering up for the death of one of these cadet Wesley's, one of, Wesley's in this uh, Red Squadron, I think that's what it's called, right? No, I'm sorry, Nova Squadron, Red Squadron, something else. Nova, Nova Squadron their cadet friend Josh died when they were trying to do this cobalt starburst maneuver. But we don't see Josh in the first duty. We only hear about him. We see his dad at the trial. But I like that this episode actually gives us a little bit of a flashback and shows that we actually get to see Josh in per- like in the in the episode before the events of it take place. And so, you know, Robert Duncan McNeil comes back to to do the voice of Nicholas Lacarno. Shannon Phil, who actually played Cadet Cito, comes back to do her voice. Will Wheaton comes back and does Wesley's voice. And we found out that Mariner was at the Academy during the events of the first duty.
0: Yeah, she was a freshman.
1: Which is amazing. And as I was saying to the other, you know, I think when we were talking about it a few weeks ago, I said, you know, I I hate to even say this because everyone always uses it so much to criticize something. I wouldn't necessarily say that we needed like a more backstory on the first duty. But I was saying like it doesn't. Really hurt anything? Like, why not? It's it's fantastic. It doesn't help. I keep saying it doesn't help, but also doesn't really hurt the episode either. But it's like, it well, just I, yeah.
0: Maybe it does help. It. I
1: shouldn't say it shouldn't help. Maybe it does help a little bit.
0: You don't need anything until it comes out and it's good, and then you think you need it. But I think <laughs> this whole thing of like we didn't ask for this. I don't think that we as fans yeah are good at asking for the right things. I think that after strange we new see worlds. The- <laughs> After we see something and we like it, we, the collective, we are fans. Then we yeah. think like, oh yeah, of course. Like who the heck thought that uh, we need, oh, we need to see what happened to Khan. We need to see the continuation of Khan. Yeah. Right? Because the of Khan comes up and it's great. Nobody thinks it's genius and it was so inevitable.
1: We talked about how Strange New Worlds goes in a little bit, went a little bit into Cybok And we thought if the show wants to take us there, uh, fine. Let's see. Because I mean, I've... Been curious. I was always curious about it, but I didn't actually think anything would ever like go into it. But if somebody, if a show is going to try to do that, which I don't even think it's going to at this point, then let's go there. Let's let's do it. You and, know,
0: that was one that we did actually bring up a lot.
1: We did bring up Cyborg quite a bit, actually.
0: Discovery and wondering if he was like right in the next. Round.
1: But I will say, like, I going back to the original point. I think so far, anyway, of all the shows, when when a show, when one of these new shows has gone. Has linked directly into a previous episode. This one for me might be right up there. I mean, there's this one. I would say this one and Unification Three on Discovery. I think,
0: and I would also say the one with Kirk, the Balance of Terror balance parallel. Of ter-
1: that's. I would say that too. I mean, it's a little weird because it's it's, you, it's parallel. It's like a it's not a real timeline, but I yeah. I could, I, I, that's why I w- wasn't adding it, but I guess yeah, we could do that too. I'll, I'll throw that in that too. So I think those three, Unification Three, I think is still. Oh, it's like a tie between that and a quality of mercy. It's so close.
0: I'm afraid, but honestly, because I think. Say that again. I think in context. Yeah. Maybe we rated it a little highly just because we going before and after it, but yeah. I hope I'm not. I hope I'm wrong.
1: Yeah. But I think um, fantastic job with the writers. I got to give them credit on this one. Like, fantastic for writer, writers oh, for got, linking yeah, for it right. to those two episodes. Yeah. Because we see, because by the way, Cadet Cito, she dies in the episode Lower Decks. That's where that's where we actually right. see her die.
0: Yeah, which is brilliant. To yeah. Bring that in too. I mean, now that had already connected with yeah. um, the previous episode. But I mean, it's just great. Yeah. And you know, everyone, I, mean, I think people have speculated since they heard the show was called Lower Decks and there was an episode of Next Gen called Lower Decks. That, right. Oh, I wonder if it has anything to do with that. I think everyone had kind of settled it. No, it doesn't. And here we are.
1: It does. Right. Right. Did you watch We're that like,
0: episode too? As to Mariner. destroy your enemy. No, uh, honor your friend. Destroy your enemies and study hmm. your what is it? Plants. <laughs> I will
1: ask you really quick. So, sorry. Did you go and watch that episode too, Lower Decks, or, or just the first duty?
0: Just the first duty, because okay. I'd already
1: seen Lower Decks. Okay. Just wanted to get that. Just wanted um, to clear the other. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. now did you notice the name of this Klingon uh, remind me it's ah oh. <laughs> he sounds like someone just be- giving a disapproving noise of something oh.
1: as my uh, as my family does quite often ah
0: oh. yep. and the mariner says to him you said when they want to be friends she tries to hug and she says you, you said I already proved my to do um then so yes, yeah, so as I said, we've got now we see that there are Orions and Binar, yep, and Mariner tries to unite the species against yep. whoever's doing this to them. Now I say this is another Trek trope, where you're forced to unite with the unlikeliest of allies to overcome your common problem.
1: Yep, that's the entire that's the the episode the episode of the enemy right there, and that's how Arena comes to an end as well, kind of mm-hmm. yeah.
0: And I really love that um, the Orions say, I will never work with Starfleet. So you're worse than the Romulans. And the Romulan says, hey.
1: What's that phrase? The enemy of my enemy? Is my friend. Yes, my friend. And that's yeah. what this is. Yeah.
0: Like Stalin in the US and Britain versus Hitler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nobody loves Stalin.
1: Yeah. But. I, yeah, this one, this, this plot was really good. I mean, I liked, I really liked this one. I mean, it was, cl- it was also Mariner like trying to unite all those pieces. I mean, it was like, I mean, it's classic Federation. It, it also kind of reminds me of when Cisco somewhat, when Cisco had to sort of, I mean, it's not the same thing as Cisco lied to get the Romulans to join the Dominion war, mm. trying to get their enemy to fight their enemy. Yeah. 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 So you're right. It's then, full of all these cliche tropes, but they work really well to refresh the oh, effect. Yeah, yeah.
0: And to use them all so well together, it's great. So then Freeman and the... I mean, not Freeman. Um, Mariner and the team uh, take over the Bird of Prey. Yep. And then it's revealed that Mariner knows Nick very dramatically, Nick Lucarno. At the yep. end there. Mm-hmm. So um, I gotta say another just impressive feat here is that Not only these two episodes work so well together, and they work so well with the previous next gen episodes, these episodes also work so well with the teases we've been getting all season, right, leading up to this point. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's just a very well executed season.
1: So, one last thing to talk about in this episode: the other plot. Yes, of course. With Freeman, yeah, because it's some stuff that we mention.
0: Yeah. the ship, so they go to Moss. To- so they
1: go to Moss Isley,
0: Isley yeah. <laughs> um, and it turns out Freeman is really, really bad at um acting like a criminal, yes. <laughs> First, she gets there, so these people have no rules, and they kind of bust her for breaking the parking laws, kind of. And mm-hmm. uh, order. yep. Um, and then and then the Boba Fett shows goes, up, <laughs> kind of act like a criminal, and she's realizing that they're not as backward and just underhanded as she thinks. Yeah, She thinks she has to act all badass all the time, and they're like, oh, do you have reservations? And it's much more civilized than she seems to think.
1: Hold on, you didn't mention when they're in orbit, Boba Fett shows up and goes straight through and gets waved right through. <laughs> I mean, are these Star Wars coincidences on purpose? It has to be. Because that's, that's what it like. Uh, you know, the cantina, yeah, know. It, looked like, it looked like a Boba Fett bounty hunter, I mean. <laughs> yeah, bounty hunters, yeah, yeah,
0: they didn't yeah. need reservations. Um, and then I'll let you take the one about the information broker that they finally reach. Oh,
1: God. It's Balok. The Baylock's puppet from my from my favorite original series episode, The Corporal Might Maneuver. And I, I like that it's, it's
0: actually the, the alien that they modeled the puppet after.
1: Well, but it's it's done in the same way. Like, you know, Baylock used the puppet as a way of intimidation. And they kind of used yeah. it somewhat. They tried to use it, although not fully successful in the same way. But it was nice to see that thing make another appearance. So I thought that was, right. <laughs> I thought that was great.
0: It was so funny because, oh. um, and even Freeman even said, like, "I've seen this before," <laughs> suggesting that she had seen the episode. And right. then she starts shaking him and says, "You fake puppet piece of shit."
1: Well, because it's so like it's just sitting on a table, right? Like it's not even because on the Cormac maneuver you see it on a view screen, so it looks like. Right. But then they see it. When right. you like- pick him
0: up, his arms are just really skinny and <laughs> <with> short. <laughs> oh, it was great. It was really well done. Right. Very silly, but very great. Right. Um, And he said, you Starfleet people think you can just pick, pick everyone up. You can just pick up and shake anyone you want. <laughs> oh, it was excellent. Yeah. Oh, did you notice that? Freeman actually was better at this than we thought. And she had the engineering guy. What's his name? Mustache man?
1: Um. Yes. I forget the name of his. Uh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, he yeah. was addressed as the bounty hunter. Mm-hmm. So, when for she... retro- the information broker gave the info to the bounty hunter. It was actually him, and mm-hmm. they had the information they needed and found out that Locarno is behind Billups. the mystery
1: ship. Billups.
0: Yes, Billups. Yep. So then they go to place and find out that Locarno is behind the mystery ship. Mm-hmm. And then all the storylines come together. Did you? Locarno. Mariner knows Locarno. Locarno.
1: Did you notice that the name of the cantina was called Muds?
0: Yes, like is. Harry
1: Mudds, yeah. So he's yeah, got a franchise yeah. now too, like Quark. It's
0: there, yeah. Yeah. Yep. But I think of all a very good episode, and I did not expect that these would be a two-part. No, finale. I was going to say
1: this. We've not had this before. Right? This has not been. There has not been a, a cliffhanger before the finale in the past. Okay. I don't think. Right. And I got to tell you, I like when shows do that. Actually, I—I I mean, I like seasonal cliffhangers, but I kind of like when they do a cliffhanger before the fin- and the penultimate episode before the finale. I've seen other shows do that too, outside of Trek. Hmm. I—I I don't know. There's something about that that I just sort of like a little bit, a little bit more. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I—I I do think um, I like that I was surprised by it. He like, didn't call it part one and part two.
1: Right. Right.
0: So it was very nice too. Oh, do you have a um funniest line?
1: Uh, I do. So my favorite line is this. Well, jokes on them. These pants don't have pockets. Wait, they do. Captain, do you know we have pockets? Cause it's always nice. been a joke in the, the, the uniforms. Do they have pockets? Don't they have pockets? No, they don't have pockets. So, um, but, I like that one. I like that. Again, it's another example of the show taking this real world sort of like fan joke and bringing it yeah. into the continuity of the universe, which I really like. Mm-hmm. So that was mine. Was that yours?
0: It's a Cheap reference, but it's so good. Mm. Okay. Uh, when Mariner is sneaking out of the cave, she tiptoes over a sleeping Boimler. Yeah, who is dreaming clearly, and he says, "Can I guess?" You me how to tap dance, <laughs> Beverly Cruncher
1: That was up there. I, I, as soon as you oh, were I talking about gone, it dreaming, I'm like, I'm like, it's a, it's got to be the tap dance line.
0: Oh so great. Yeah, so great. Hilarious.
1: Yeah. Gates McFadden is a well known, like, she's a da- she. I believe in real life, she is a dance right. instructor. Yeah, that's from uh yeah. Yeah, because we see her teaching Data how to dance in the episode Data's Day.
0: I wonder if they've, like, yeah. tried to get her on this show, and she hasn't. Just because it was funny, that mention, like, I'm going to meet Beverly Crusher, I'm like, no, you're not. Because <laughs> I think a lot of other people have been on it, so it's, it's interesting.
1: It's surprising to me, though, like, how much... I mean, we've gotten a lot of legacy character appearances, but it's like it's, it hasn't really been as much as I sort of expected it to be, which is crazy. Like, I've, I would have figured at this point, we would have gotten the entire TNG crew... But no, we haven't. The only one we've gotten, I think, is right is Riker and Troy. Oh well, Wesley now with this episode, I guess. So yeah, well, yeah. We've
0: got Tom Paris.
1: Well, just of the TNG crew, I mean. But yeah, yeah. Tom, right. pa- yeah. Q. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, because I would have suspected that we would have had all of them, and some we would have had like everybody at this point. But right. Yeah, but no, I agree. I this was. A fantastic episode i i think this and i have to continue with my constant praise in this in this in this area but it's been such a great season of the show really i think the best season of the show there's a very i mean the show's always had character development character development but i just feel like they've really leaned in heavily to it in the season more so than the other in the previous seasons and i'm just i'm i'm great it's it's yeah it's it's great. I love it.
0: Definitely. I mean, I think that that conversation with Mariner and the Klingon might've been one of the best character scenes of mm. the show so far, all, all seasons.
1: But, the, but, and like, it's also been very much like, they've struck a really great balance of humor, jokey stuff, in reference stuff to doing some really great original stuff on their own. And also a lot of world building as well. So I like that it's, in some ways, the show has taken a little bit more of a serious tone, and I like that. It, it it just proves that the show doesn't only need humor to succeed. It can still do really good shows without needing to be without needing to lean so heavily into comedy.
0: And even that scene, like that, that, yeah, the scene between Mariner and Ah, it was. <laughs> um, they still had jokes peppered throughout. They did. Silver, they did. Is, that's the real trick
1: what it feels to me is that they find I feel like they got they've perfected the recipe of the show in some ways like this this what I feel this is I feel like this season is the show at its best
0: I agree I think I agree
1: and I'll continue that thought as we talk about the finale unless you have more to talk about in this episode the finale season finale I should say Old friends, new planets.
0: Old friends, new planets, indeed. Yeah. Now you going to tell me this, this, because you'll be able to work this better. Hmm. Was that previously on Star Trek: Lower Decks? Was that did that have the vibe of like the next gen era?
1: No, no. no. Because, okay. So what they. <laughs> I would love to see them do this at some point you'd have to use AI for it. But what next gen used to do was Majel Roddenberry would do the voice as the computer and say last time on star Trek, the next generation, last time on star Trek, deep space nine. So I feel like I would love them to do that for this one. It's actually more of enterprise because, because enterprise didn't use Majel's voice. It would either be Scott Bakula or Jolene Blaylock who would say previously on enterprise. Oh, so yeah, it actually is a little bit more enterprise like Enterprise
0: it. in a the sense. They would alternate through the whole main cast.
1: They would. Well, I think, you know, I, th- I think it was only the two of them. Maybe Billingsley did one at some point, but it was typically... Primarily, it was Scott Bakula or Jolene, and Jolene Blaylock who yeah. did it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, maybe it's just because we haven't had any two-parters that we have. but This so was the, we the first
1: time... I don't... And I'm trying to think, like... It stood out for me because I don't think they've had, like... Seasonal cliffhangers, but I don't think in the in the premiere episode of the next season they've said last time on, so it really stuck out for me in this one. Me too. Me yeah.
0: too. Um. So this is where we get our flashback. Yes. And some some things I really liked about the flashback where we have out uh, Nova Squadron on the grounds of Starfleet Academy. The, yep. um wastewater treatment plant in L.A. Animated. (laughs) Yes, Um, And this is also where we... So we kind of hear basically what they're planning from you know, regarding the Starburst. Mm. But then we have um, Mariner comes up and talk about her Xeno history seminar. So alien history seminar. She learned about the preservers and the Zindi. Yes. (laughs) And she's like... See that I haven't learned about Zindi yet, but I assume they're cool.
1: <laughs> oh god. Well, it's we don't know what happened to the Zindi after the after the events of Enterprise. We kind of do in that episode, in the alternate future episode, but I'm, like did the Zindi end up joining the Federation at some point? Like did that really happen? We don't know.
0: Yeah, but yeah. I think it's just neat because you know the Zindi has sort of been not erased from the canon, but you know, rarely referenced.
1: Remember how happy we were when they were referenced in Beyond?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that was very cool to have the Zindi. Now, who are the preservers?
1: So, the preservers are actually from the TOS episode, The Paradise Syndrome. We don't, they're a super race that, and Kirk and Spock encounter like a monument of theirs on a planet, like an obelisk, more or less. I've not seen that episode in a long time. So, but we also see one on the moons of Endoria in discovery at one point oh, in uh context. Of, remember, remember in the episode, remember in the, remember in the, the third episode of the show when the cap, when Lorca is sort of, t- sort of making his case to burn him and he's showing him all the, all these different planets. At one point you see the preserver obelisk on Andoria, which I totally I, forgot about. Yeah. So, yeah. And I it took me a second Lorca, cause I haven't said his name in a long time.
0: I go the episode. There's <laughs> a still of uh Kirk wearing Native American uh, Yes, yeah, yeah wears Native American clothing gazing into the eyes of a woman dressed as a Native American or at least the way Hollywood thinks Native Americans is dressed It
1: wasn't one of my it wasn't one of my favorite episodes I've got to say Okay
0: Yeah um, um,
1: Kind of a throwaway um, line too
0: Yeah, so the Lucarno wants to uh, recruit mariner for his nova fleet which is why he's been uh sort of encouraging all these mutinies Mm -hmm. on these ships so they could come and join the nova fleet where he wants to you know take his kind of ideals of not following the rules and doing your own thing
1: yeah his reasoning for it was a little was a little flimsy in my opinion but i didn't really care (laughs)
0: Yeah, well, I, yeah. <laughs> maybe the first independent fleet, and um, they say the marquee would like a word. Yeah,
1: <laughs> right, exactly. So I, I, I don't know that I really fully bought his reasoning for it, but I just at the same time I was like, it, it's fine. It's, it, it's another example, of, like yet another disgraced type of an officer who wants revenge on the Federation, right? So I just kind of, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I guess it's really tough to be broken up with by the Federation by Starfleet. You know, it really right. seems to hurt.
1: Right. And um, everyone wants to take revenge on them for some reason. There's always somebody.
0: <laughs> and then we get another... I'm going to call this a classic Star Trek trope also, where the uh, bureaucracy is dragging its feet on taking action. Mm. And so, our our heroes are forced to take things into their own hands. So they're worried about injuring the kidnapped aliens if they were to go after and try to save Mariner or stop the Locarno. Yeah. but. Starfleet, uh, but um, Freeman, and, and another great Freeman thing. Freeman does the uh, "I'm about to break the rules," crew. If you don't want to go along with this, that's all, I can't make you. You know, that's another. And, but yep. we'll, yes, we'll follow you.
1: We've seen that many, many times. Yeah, first contact comes to mind. Yeah,
0: yeah, first contact when they steal the ship to go get oh to go to uh, Viger. Is they that's don't. Right?
1: Well, they, they don't steal it.
0: When do they steal a ship?
1: <laughs> Search for Spock to go mm-hmm. to the Genesis Planet. Yes, yes. They yes. Steal a ship to go there. The, the second, the first episode of Strange New Worlds this season. Yeah. yeah they it, it did it in the know. Menagerie. I could, I could, I could name. I, you know.
0: Right, not Sorry. <laughs> let's not get, right. uh, get carried away. <laughs> and one great thing is that when they're talking to him, um, I believe it's, Uh, Rutherford says.
1: He looks like Tom Paris. Oh God! Sorry. So, so, sorry. So, in the first Crisis Point episode in season one, I remember saying to you the funniest joke they ever did was when they circled the ship. In my opinion, they circled the ship, and they were like when they were spoofing the way the shuttlecraft circles the ship in space dock in the films and various shows. I said that is. The funniest thing, I think, the, the best joke they've ever done mm-hmm. until this one, <laughs> because I mean, as we, as all truck fans know, Robert Nuccio played Nicholas Lucano in the first duty, and I don't even know, I don't even know if this story is true or not. I think it's apocryphal. The reason why he was cast as Tom Paris was, I guess they, I guess there was a, that they wanted to use the Nicholas Lucano character, but they didn't because there would have been some contractual thing. I don't even know if that's true. So they made the
0: episode might have created the character technically it may have created the
1: character, but I don't think it was that's
0: the way I read it but I'm not but sure but I
1: think there you. was a belief that, that it was originally supposed to be Nicholas Lacano because if you listen to Tom Paris's backstory there was a similarity but it's like I don't even I don't it would make think a lot that's right. Right. I mean Tom um, Paris's backstory could probably still fit Lacano but I don't think I don't think it was I don't think it was ever intended to be to be that character. So mm. But again, you know, it's Robert Duncan McNeil playing both characters in a similar way. And I liked that the show made reference to that by saying, you know, they have like the same face. They're identical. No, nah, I just don't see it. And I, dude, I fucking roared when that joke came up. It was fantastic.
0: That was good. Yeah. For some reason, I didn't I didn't recognize it as Tom Paris' voice. I didn't recognize, I thought he sounded weird, not like himself. I also thought um, Wesley didn't sound like Wesley for some reason. 20, I know it was them. Yeah.
1: Did you watch I, this before the first duty or after?
0: Ah, um, uh, before.
1: Okay.
0: On my second watch. Okay. I didn't think it sounded like, like.
1: I mean, I can say that, but uh, you know, I remember saying the same thing about Quark in the DS9 episode last season. Like, I mean, it's your voice changes the older you get, you know. So I didn't see that. I mean, the the actress who did Sito's voice, as I was saying a little while ago, is the same actress who played her. I, I did. I don't yeah. even think it sounded like her at all. I mean, she's probably like. I mean, the first duty aired in 1992. It's 31 yeah, see, her, years ago, I so. Yeah. As
0: well as I think I know, Tom Paris and Wesley. Oh, right. actually, she's a little boy.
1: Well, and I didn't even know it was her. I had to look it up because it didn't, and she was probably like, I don't know, fucking 21 years old when she first did the episode. So if she's like 51, 52, 53 now.
0: Do
1: she doesn't act anymore, anymore now. Shannon Phil is her name, but she doesn't. She doesn't do any acting anymore now.
0: That's really cool. Like, what a way to go above and beyond to track down the person who's done right. acting anymore.
1: Because you could have gotten anybody to do that. Nobody would have known, and you know,
0: that's
1: yeah, great. yeah. They they did it. Yeah, that's yeah. Agree. McMahon. He just seems like the type who would you know if he's a as hardcore of a TNG fan as he says he is. I mean, it, that just seems like it's on brand for him. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So we get a lot of action in this episode. Really now, Mariner steals the um, Ferengi. Genesis device. She yep. takes off in an NX style ship, which is very cool.
1: It's a yep, that is a Steamrunner class starship. First scene in first contact.
0: But close. Okay. Yeah, you're right. It looked NXY to me. Yeah.
1: Somewhat. The Akira class is more NXY, but yeah, I can see why you would think that.
0: Yeah. Oh, I see.
1: Um <laughs> You're not into ships, so what can I say? Yeah,
0: that's true. <laughs> so then let uh, you handle the whole Orion situation.
1: Oh god. So um <laughs> I love this. So, Locarno has a gigantic force, like well, like I don't want to call a force field, but like an energy field surrounding his area of space that they can't break through. And the Cerritos crew needs help, so they end up going back to Tendi's homeworld to negotiate help. Getting, I think they want like a, they want a ship, but I guess now they have to go through this whole. So they talk to Tendi's sister, and they have to go through this whole ritual. Um, I was getting a little confused and lost for a second on, like, the bet between Tendi. Like, if it's, if she loses, if they lose, she gets she gets the Cerritos. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And if she wins, they would get the battleship that they want to be able to go. Right. But Tendy has to come but back. back. But Tendy makes a—Tendi knows they can't lose the ship, so she says— right. It's kind of like you, know, you make a bet and you lose. You're like, all right, double or nothing.
1: Right. So she kind of gets something out of it. Either way,
0: yeah. But, she, but she says, what you really want back is me tending back to our Orion. So right. that's what you get, and then is that
1: one? So they have to engage in a kind of like gladiator style fight. And you would think, because you know the the Orion who's going to be fighting is this big, bulky, strong person, you would think, oh well, they're just going to put Shax in there,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that's fine. You know, we'll be out of here in no time. But they don't use shacks, so they Biglimo. get the so they get the uh, well the therapist doctor do, the bird doctor Beglimo
0: yes Neglimo.
1: Neglimo. I I don't know why I always forget his name and he's, he's surprised on it and he doesn't expect to get chosen but Tendi is very confident that that they're going to be fine that this is the right choice and so they're in this arena they're going they're going through this fight and it's you know he's evading every single hit but he's and he's terrified and what I love is. He does something that is very akin to what we see Flocks do in the Enterprise episode Home. Remember, Flocks would it like inflate his face like a blowfish. He does something very similar, only his entire body sort of somewhat inflates and like his feathers come out. And she's the person he's fighting, the Orion that he's fighting, ends up sort of being allergic to it. Doesn't have doesn't ever inhale her. Inhaler, and they win the fight immediately.
0: All right, but but F, who's the Orion falls and lands on Muglino. you, yes. So then they technically lose. Right. I don't know why it would be a draw, but that's okay.
1: Yeah. And so they're given this. So Tendi does have to come back at some point. But oh, no, wait, I'm
0: sorry. We got a little bit wrong. So they lose the ship, and then Tendy says, I'll come back if you let that's... us use it. You... Yeah, so right. that's what happens. But they get to the ship, and the ship is broken. The Orion's those pirates.
1: right. Yeah, because she says, well, you just said you needed a ship. You didn't say you needed, basically, you didn't need something that worked. And it's like.
0: That ship, I never said what condition it was in.
1: Right, exactly. So.
0: And then I think you probably, I think this one here, you were very excited about what happened. How they settled the dispute on how to fix the ship.
1: You think, of why do you say that?
0: Because you were excited about it. You told me about it before I even watched it. <laughs>
1: So I loved the way they did this, because once again, they go back into the because so the engineers are having a disagreement on how to actually get the ship in proper working order. And then Talin steps in and says, well, basically has a solution on how to resolve this disagreement. And we're back to Mark Twain. And I just love how Freeman is like, so why does this work exactly? (laughs) Nobody, nobody really knows why. It just seems to be effective for some reason. And even as a viewer, I don't even know why it works.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's funny that it's Telyn who makes the suggestion. Right, think she said something like illogical means can lead to logical outcomes.
1: Or right. So that was I, I. I um. I hope that's something that they come back to again in the future because I like that they because it just it shows up at the most random times this season. I mean, I think this is like the third time it's shown up. So it's like you have to have people willing to go along with it and role play through it. To actually settle the dispute, which I think is, and I think you yourself, and you think to yourself, like, how do you, how do we even have time to go through all of this, to go through this whole charade? You know, time's not exactly on our side here. So, yeah, that, that was right, even more silly, doesn't it? <laughs> right, exactly. So and
0: essentially, we get a showdown between Mariner and Locarno, which is, you know, it's fine.
1: Yeah, he makes his well, he makes his announcement to everybody to the entire fleet, and you think for a moment that Marin is going to go along with it. And then she basically just says, Oh, this guy sucks. And then she takes off, as you say, onto her NX type ship with her mm-hmm. Genesis device, with her little Genesis device. And
0: you yeah. can actually get up.
1: But it, what I, what I think is really fun about it is that one of the things that's really fun about it is that it sort of leads into a very, into a really heartwarming spoof for the battle, the battle of the Matara Nebula in Star Trek II the Wrath of Khan, even though she had a Genesis device, I got to be honest with you, I wasn't expecting it to sort of go that way, even though after watching it, it's pretty obvious, but I wasn't really expecting them to really kind of go that far into it. And mm-hmm. I love that they did because it, I remember saying to you, you know, into darkness, like shame, like almost shamelessly tries to mimic that ending of the Wrath of Khan. And it, it's, it doesn't really work. And this show's doing it as sort of a joke, but yet in the context of the events, it's very effective.
0: Yeah, it was, it was good. And then the way that it goes off is that Lacarno shoots Baroner's ship, but like in the last episode, beamed out just in time. Um, right. Beams out just in
1: time. Right. So...
0: It's the shot, right? You mean like the thing blows up and then it holds on space? Well,
1: it's it's multiple and things. Like it's the way it
0: goes and they're just showing the explosion for like it's a It's good- that.
1: It's yeah. when they're inside the nebula. What it's like you? it's the ships sort of passing over each other. Like it's very, very brief. Like they don't spend a lot of time on it. They just sort of like copy yeah. that one shot. It's the Although static.
0: of the explosion was, they held on that for a while.
1: They did. The
0: art style was seem different. On right. It, all, well, it was very cool
1: the static on the on the view screen they can't really see you know because going into the nebula makes them blind so um the you know nick the ship as you say the ship explodes with nick right in front of the genesis device sort of like the way khan sets the genesis device at the end of the wrath of khan before the reliant explodes one of my favorite lines or my favorite line from the episode comes in that scene so i think they they did a very i think heartwarming very funny tribute to the ending uh of the Battle of the Matara Nebula and the Wrath of Khan, which I thought worked to very <laughs> refreshing, again, refreshing effect. So
0: mm-hmm. it was great.
1: I loved. I love that they did that. Wasn't expecting it, but I love that they did that.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and then we got something, I think, a classic, a classic. Another one of Trek tropes. Mm. Freeman went rogue, but it's all okay because it worked out. Right. This is every time that someone breaks Starfleet rules, no matter how terribly they break the rules, they have the like good outcome. So we forget all your crimes.
1: Yeah. What did you think of the way they actually penetrated the force the force field with that ship? They end up not getting the ship to really work. They just use it to ram the force field, which is which is amazing. And they even use the captain's yacht, which, as uh, Boimler points out, is again sort of an out of universe. Reference, he's like, I've never seen the captain's art used before. As fans have said several times, like,
0: yeah, we've not really ever seen that before.
1: I mean, we think we saw it in Insurrection, but that was it.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, it was well done. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, this was a very action-heavy episode.
1: Every so, time, yeah. but, and they tend to do that in their finales, right? But yeah, it, but I wasn't. Nothing felt forced. I wasn't tired. I just, I was really into what was going on. It wasn't boring to me in, in, in the slightest.
0: Hmm. So, I agree, I agree. Um, and then we sort of get a nice ending where we have everyone's kind of like where everyone's status is now. Yeah, we find out that Boimler did great in command.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, the team was that, great together. That's
1: another thing, that's something I in a note that I wanted to mention. So, yeah, we do see Boimler in command for a few minutes, and it fit him well. I really liked seeing him in command, I thought he did a really great job. Because you would think, like Boimler, he's Boimler, he'd be a little timid. But he was—I mean, he—he he was great. I loved watching it.
0: Yeah, and he got over his problem of wanting to try to handle everything himself. So right, he's, he's grown.
1: Yeah, because yeah, if you remember that earlier episode when earlier in the season when he was trying to manage an away team, and yet he was doing all the tasks for them, not giving them a chance to yeah. So agreed. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and then we found out to Lin ignores the possible request to return to the Vulcan Science Institute and says that uh, she has to stick around to become Tendy's science bestie.
1: Were you afraid that she may leave? No. Yeah, because I know you really like to learn.
0: Yeah, yeah, but it is not to be because Tendy's the one leaving. Yeah, she has to go to Erica. Mm-hmm. Although you know she'll be back.
1: Yeah. I think she'll be back I mean, I don't think i i, I would be surprised if the show makes that a season long thing next season um, no, we'll probably
0: be back for the first episode
1: I hope she's back and I'm sure she'll be back like either in the first one or like the first like or maybe like the the first handful of episodes i i yeah. should be back yeah but
0: I think it's a great um you would be get some more stories on Orion or a story on Orion would be cool, yeah, so I think it's neat, you know mix it up a little. Bit give a crisis to the team because they lost a member i think it's gonna be nice
1: it's i think this type of storytelling like where they end it on a sort of a serious note like that the season on a serious note i mean i think this is season four so i think was the first time they did that the ending of season was it season two when freeman got arrested yeah it was season two yeah, was that the first time they did something like that? Because I think in season two we were expecting it to be sort of like, maybe I was, a big ending like they did at the end of season one when Riker showed up and everything was great and and everyone, everything was great at the end, right? But was that was that the first time it ended on a sort of serious note? Season I think two, so. think? yeah,
0: yeah. And this one definitely did end up on a end on a serious note. And also, Tendi, interestingly, she's been very resistant to embrace her Orion self, but. She had this. She seemed very determined that she was going to kick some ass and you know take care of business on Orion. So
1: that yeah,
0: would be, that would be a cool story. I would.
1: Well, and as I was saying earlier, I mean, Lower Decks has done a lot of world building for the universe, and I like that we they've done a lot of Orion world building. I mean, the Orions to me were always a species that were very much that were more associated with the original series because they were the Orion pirates, but I like that this show has actually. They've embraced the Orions and they've, again, given us a lot of Orion world building. And I like what they have done with the Orions.
0: Yeah, I really like how, for instance, that they're discriminated against because everyone thinks that they're just pirates. But from what we've seen, they kind of are all just pirates. Right. <laughs> even though uh attendees starts to say otherwise.
1: Right. And they even go into, let, if you recall, a little bit in these Strange New Worlds crossover with them. Remember that? That was also a plot point. I would say mm-hmm. well, sort of more of a talking point really in that episode, but they did go into that, yeah. And
0: you can't forget the Emerald Chain.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I would like to. I <laughs> I really would, but I would I would be more forgiving of that because the 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 galaxy sort of realigned after the burn, so I I would sort of yeah. I I wouldn't be surprised That's if more people became pirates as a result of that. That's so, true. Yeah, but and there
0: it yeah, is another season in the books.
1: I've got to say. So my favorite line yes. is when the Genesis device is about to explode, Locano is trying to disarm it, and the Ferengi stick a paywall on it, which I absolutely loved because paywalls, as everybody can attest to these days, are annoying as fuck. Paywalls did not exist as we knew them back during like the you know 90s trek early 2000s trek and so you think to yourself that is such a modern annoyance that makes so much sense that Ferengi's would have they'd pre- if knowing them they'd have a paywall on like everything
0: mm. and I love Here's that the they, is, yeah it's a little silly it doesn't make sense so latinum is a physical thing like a coin right so if you put it into the device, it's buy, yeah. the device like how are they going to ever get that latinum
1: I assume they have something like Apple Pay or Samsung Pay. I'm sure there are multiple me- payment methods.
0: That's fair. That makes yeah,
1: sense. yeah. So I'd say
0: I don't really have a fa- like really standout line that made me laugh a lot. Yeah. I would say like maybe the McKee would like a word I enjoyed a lot. Um, and then oh, the one about the Zindi that I already mentioned also was mm-hmm. pretty funny they like they're probably cool, they're not knowing the history. That like, oh, she's gonna find out they're not. They were not very cool at all.
1: Right. Yeah. I, I, that one, the paywall thing, is the one that really stuck out to me. I mean, there were no. I mean, and again, you know, the the they have like the same face; they're identical. But that's sort of more the moment itself, not the actual lines, but sort of the the fact that they addressed that, as you know, fans have talked about it. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, but I do think that. um teach me to tap dance, Beverly Crusher. I'd be one of my favorite lines of the whole series <laughs> because that one's very hard to live on.
1: But I think it's a very,
0: it's also sort of a callback because he was so excited when he saw Beverly Crusher's name, mm-hmm. but there was no real explanation of that. And then we hear his dream and it's like, Oh, that's why he was so excited.
1: About it reminds Crusher. me of the second episode of the series when I think it's Mariner who's like, they're about to go on that away mission And Marin is in the shuttle and she's having a dream and she's quoting Khan lines from the wrath of Khan while she's talking in her sleep. So it sort of reminded me of that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You can throw in all kinds of funny lines when people are sleeping. I suppose.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I think wrapping up the season, as I said, I think this is absolutely the best season of the show. I think This episode really stands out. It's you know it's unique. It's and really impactful. It tons of character development this season. I think it's a very satisfying conclusion, and I love. I think Talin Talin's been a big thing this season. I mean, she's the first. It's she joined the yeah she joined the beginning of the season, and I will say I, I. I was a little worried at first because I thought, can they add a fifth one in? Because usually in the in cases like this, they take somebody out and replace them with some with a different character, maintaining like the same number of characters. But I think she's fit in very well. And I like that she's she's a welcome, somewhat foil, but also also not really a foil. Like she she's actually a little bit more lower decky than I expected her to be. And she's got and she's got a lot of she exercises a ton of that Vulcan sass, which I think just blends in really well with them.
0: Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah, I think she's been great. She it's kind of she works really well because she's not one of the main our main lower deckers, so she doesn't mm-hmm. have to be prominent in the episode. Sometimes she is, but other times she just has a line here or there.
1: But so every think- time they use her, she never feels wasted when they use her.
0: No. No. They're always very good lines.
1: Yeah, she's brought in and used very, very, very well. So it's crazy, though. We're we're four seasons in now. This is 40 episodes.
0: Yeah, already more seasons than the original series.
1: But I will say, you know, when they announced the show, right? I mean, obviously, I could not have predicted what the show was based off the announcement. I don't think that I was expecting it to have a lot of character development or character growth. I don't know why, but I just, that wasn't something I really thought of. I just kind of sometimes feel like animation's a different kind of beast and doesn't really wanna do those kinds of things, which is not a great way to look at it. But it's gotten so much character development, and they've really addressed a lot of stuff that you and I have talked about. I mean, we mentioned, you know, is it ever going to address why Mariner is the way she is? They advanced in rank. Remember at one point we thought, like, how long do they stay lower deckers, right? But what this show does is it just shows you that they're actually tiers of lower deckers, right? Sure, they may have moved away from, like, that shared living space they had, but they're still lower deckers at the end of the day. Right. And they also said,
0: being lower deckers is a state of mind. Right. Rather than...
1: Oh, t- yeah, absolutely. Like it's, yeah, exactly. So.
0: Nice.
1: If you look yeah, at the, if you look the at show, the first. Go ahead, sorry.
0: Probably better than we could have anticipated, I feel.
1: I think if you look at the first episode and you look at this one, I mean, there's, cl- there's so, it's, it's really, there's so much growth in the characters in, in the, over these last 40 episodes. And again, the show just proves to be one of the best Trek shows. Um, of the new group of Trek shows. But I also think overall, I mean, I think there's, I, I would actually say, I think there's enough episodes of the show now to, for me to really kind of say, and enough character development and everything else that comes with it to really sort of rank it up against the other Trek shows that have been around for so long. I mean, I think it's, I think it's proven its life for a while now. And I have to say, I feel, I feel confident in saying that's really up there in my top, like, I don't know, maybe like three or four, or five truck shows. It's just it's different, but it, at the same time, it's the same, and it has worked very well over the last what has it been now three years that the show's been on the that show's been on the air? So yeah, almost four years. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Got it way better than anticipated, and um, much more substantive than we
1: expected. So, Let me ask yeah, you this because but... I know your favorite live action one is is Stranger New Worlds. I would assume. In a grudge match between
0: what are you talking about?
1: of the of the newest ones of the newest, not I, I mean, no it's clear to us that the Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks are the best of the new Trek shows. Yeah. If I put you in a grudge match between both shows, would you be able to pick one over the other, or are they too unique that you wouldn't be able to say one's better than the other?
0: I can't really say one's better. Than the other. Hmm. I mean, yeah, it's tough to say because they're there are so so different,
1: right? And yet they work well together as the yeah. crossover is shown.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. If you ask me, I think it really, if you ask me, you know, you're sitting down right now and you have to watch one of either episode, I think it would really depend on what my mood was.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: You all tripped, you used all to have the same tone? I think that was probably a problem for a long time. It was. It all had a tone. I would say from... All the 90s shows kind of did. Maybe they got a little darker. Deep Space Nine would get a little darker. But. I'll say this.
1: This may be controversial, but okay. I, don't give, I don't give a fuck. There are 11 Star Trek shows in total.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And I actually think that when you stack them all up, I would say that in concept, Lower Decks was probably... I can't speak to Prodigy, actually, because I haven't seen all of it yet.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I would say... Lower Decks was the riskiest and also the biggest swing because just the fact that it's an adult animated comedy. Trek had never done that before. Sure, there's a silly side of Trek, absolutely. But to to make the entire show a comedy, I would say it was the biggest swing they took and... I think they hit a grand slam with this one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it, it may sound weird, but I say like having a Trek kids show almost sounds like a safe bet to make. Um, I would agree with that. Yeah. It's kind of like, yeah, why not? Like every other thing, every other s- franchise, I hate to use the word, but has a, a kids cartoon version has been very common.
1: You're probably feeling like, "Is why? What took them so long to do that? Right? Why would they?" Yeah. You know?
0: Well, I guess they did in the seventies, technically.
1: But. Well, I, but I think what these new shows try to do is they try to appeal to a different. Dem- I think some of them have tried to appeal to a different demographic, yeah. and because Trek, really, at the end of the day, if you want to grow your franchise, you can't just keep playing to the same audience every time. You have die. to. Real? Well, no, really. I mean, it's true. Yeah. Direct fans could become a dying breed.
0: Yeah. i would be and, curious to see what they appeal to the I don't know, young people, young adults with um academy.
1: But I have seen I, I have actually seen strange new worlds bring people in as well. Yeah. Not kid I wouldn't say kids, but like yeah, I've seen that be a good entry point for people as well.
0: Yeah, it's just um it's just a good show, even if you don't know Star Trek. I'm sure it's a fine, enjoyable show.
1: I think it's a good entry point in the same way that the Abram, the first Abrams movie, was a good entry point for people who just didn't know anything.
0: Yeah, I think it's a better entry point because it gives you a little more, somewhat yeah. more, about what what to expect kind of situation. Somewhat.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think um, the next thing we're going to cover is season five of Discovery, which is. Early next year, yeah, I thought I had. Se- I thought I had seen something that the they announced with the month. I think it's. I, I want to say it's February, but I I, mean, I don't even know if what I was looking at was actually the announcement. I'll look
0: that up. Yeah. So but yeah, we get a nice little holiday break here.
1: We had a holiday break between episodes.
0: Let's see. Okay, season five. The January to April 2024 release time frame. That's what it says.
1: For just all of Trek or just Discovery. I mean, I don't think anything Discovery. would be else would be coming out anyway, so
0: Discovery,
1: yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. Ten weeks? That sounds that would sound about right.
0: Hey, yeah. Star Trek Discovery, the, season 5's long delay is a big test for Strange New Worlds. What is this what, what does that mean? I don't know. Let's see what Screen
1: Rant has to say. Oh, don't oh god look at no offense to Screen Rant, but they always they always have these, they have these clickbaity type Articles yeah. which do not, the story does not reflect what the article title is. It's like, it's like, it's like one sentence addresses that, and then like, but the evidence they use to back up this claim has nothing to do uh, with what
0: from. Wait, wait? Yeah. wait for Star Trek Discovery season five could reach two years, and it's something fans waiting for Strange Season three should get used to.
1: No. <laughs> Because there's not, DJ, there's not a there's not a there's not there's not a strike every time. So, if, like Trek fans know there was a strike. So obviously we should expect there to be a longer delay than usual.
0: Yeah, but that's, that's what they're saying. What does
1: that yeah, mean? Like, like, so any season going forward, it's going to be the same amount of time?
0: No, that's not. That's <laughs> not even an argument.
1: Oh, is that what that article was implying? Yeah. No. Based on what?
0: What evidence? Like, see, this the is better take would have been like, let's see now has. Strange New Worlds brought in people that are going to also watch this show. That would have been more interesting. Uh, Not that it has to, but anyway.
1: Yeah, that's insane. They th- production is actually beginning now on season three of Strange New Worlds, and so I think the production dates a Dece- uh, next month, December to I think it said July. I want to. I don't even know. Or,
0: yeah, June well, or March or something we'll
1: like know. that. Yeah. So we're probably not going to see Strange New Worlds at the earliest when they begin filming. It's typically a year from the filming date, so we probably won't see season three of Strange New Worlds until this time a year from now.
0: Yeah, but again, like I, there's
1: a strike. So what? I mean, if there was a strike that held things held. Yeah,
0: not giving any attention. It was nonsense.
1: Yeah. So what are they saying? There's going to be a strike every single time. So I mean,
0: no, I'm not even reading anymore. I refuse to. Let's let it go.
1: Yeah, it's it's very. It's very clickbaity. Yeah. yeah. So but that's gonna be the next thing on our agenda is um the fifth season of Discovery. So
0: Yeah. Those are some weird announcements.
1: I did have an idea for an episode that we could potentially do if you're interested, but this year is going to be next month is the twenty-fifth anniversary of the release of Star Trek Insurrection. <laughs>
0: Oh, interesting. December eleventh, nineteen ninety eight. I like that one. It's
1: fun. Oh, yeah. so maybe we could, you know, if you ever want to discuss that, because I think did we? I think I can't remember if we did a twenty fifth anniversary or first contact two years ago. I think we intended to, but we didn't. I don't recall.
0: Oh yeah.
1: I'd have to go into our archives and I'd have to go into our archives and take a look at that. But yeah. yeah.
0: It seems that there's some kind of actor being like, I can finally, now the strike is over. I can finally reveal it. I'm the villain of season five of Discovery.
1: Yeah, Robert Picardo announced that he's going to be in season two of Prodigy, but we knew that for a while now. We knew because there was an announcement, I believe, at Comic-Con, and there was a clip. Have you seen a
0: picture of this villain?
1: I have. Is yeah. that
0: a species we should know? I don't believe so. It just looks like a...
1: This is where Discovery you're referring to, right?
0: Yeah, it looks yeah. like a... Um, either like a later next-gen alien, later next-gen movie alien, or a Abrams alien. Why do they always have to have a villain? Like a... Like I know. Like f- villain. Come I know. on, dude. I know. Do something different.
1: <laughs> I did find out this morning that Prodigy is going to be dropping on Netflix on Christmas Day. the next season of prodigy that is on christmas Christmas on christmas day yeah i am not a i don't even have netflix so but there's also another uh important news item that i think is worth some attention so there so nicholas meyer who directed the wrath of khan specifically gives an update on The Star Trek con audio drama.
0: Yeah. Yeah. that was supposed to be a series and now it's an audio drama.
1: Right. So it is, it is still coming. It's called Star Trek con city alpha five. And Mm -hmm. he just said, you know, it's being worked on as a radio play nine or 10 half hour episodes. If it is successful, then maybe we go back to making it something on film. There's no, there's no timetable for it. But if they end up doing this,
0: that doesn't you... make any sense.
1: Uh, I'm gonna do
0: it. Everybody knows the story. And then I mean I guess it makes sense, but yeah. I and mean, with all the remakes being done, you sometimes know the story, but still, it seems strange, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. Well, he he has always said that he wanted to make this into like I think it was supposed to be a mini series at one point. They were looking at it as yeah. a, or like as a limited series. But yeah, they're just going for it as an audio like podcast-type drama. So that'll be an interesting thing to review when the time comes. There's no timetable for it right now of when it's coming out. But that'll be an interesting thing to review. I, 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 I got to say really quick on that, too, that I don't... If Nicholas Meyer's involved, great. Because he's a, he's a good writer. He's a great director. So I'm sure maybe he'll make it interesting. On the face of it, talking about the years he was stranded on Seti Alpha Five, I don't like. I don't even know what could have happened. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> well, is it like lost know, on like you know? I mean, you
0: <laughs> know, don't don't say that we didn't ask for it because if it's good,
1: I'm not going to say that. Yeah, I just don't know. I don't know how appealing it, it sounds. Topic. Yeah,
0: but I guess for him it's probably a personal thing because you know he brought made the character of Khan really made Khan who well, he is. It was already
1: right. I mean, so, what we do know is that, you know, his wife, Marlon McGibbers, died and that SETI Alpha 6 SETI Alpha Six exploded and turned that planet into yeah. a wasteland. So those are like sort of the, like the major events. Yeah. But.
0: You know, Mick, Mick, here's the interesting thing. What if he had been um, building this utopian society before the explosion, right? He'd like taken over the locals on the planet. And he, like, if there weren't if
1: there weren't yeah. Well, well, that could be the know. thing, because they're genetically engineered supermen, super people, I should say. Maybe when the city of Six exploded, it destroyed whatever civilization was there. But because they were genetically engineered, they are able to survive with you know survive the harsh conditions, even though they live inside. But they can yeah. survive the harsh conditions of the planet, while the locals, as you say, may have you yeah know, died.
0: Or imagine that he lands on a planet like Earth with like a billion or whatever uh, creatures. Yeah. But because he's enhanced, and super smart. And he has the people. He still manages to conquer them. Yeah, six people. That'd be, that might be interesting too.
1: I mean, it's really like you could do. I guess it's really like you could do anything because there's nothing for canon to really speak to, in a way. Right. right. You could sort of do anything. Yeah. You know, do they well, make it like? Up. Do they make it like lost?
0: You, up with them, you know, on a desert planet.
1: Um, well, it's not a desert planet until the planet until Cepheus is closed. Have
0: it end up on a desert planet.
1: Right. Right. <laughs> Maybe they make it like lost, and he lands there. There's like weird, there's like weird stuff. There's weird hatches, and there's like
0: (laughs) that could be interesting. I guess yeah, it's a lot of good things you could do.
1: Yeah. So I mean, I guess in on the face of it, like it doesn't sound interesting, and yet at at the same time, you could pretty much do anything.
0: Yeah. Which. So and as
1: you and I have say, have always said, as long as the writing is good and it's interesting and it's an interesting story, then great. Just because I can't think of anything interesting doesn't mean that it can't be interesting.
0: Right, yeah. Yeah. Okay, totally. Totally. Now I don't know that Nicholas Myers really has a great track record other than The Wrath of Khan, does he?
1: The Undiscovered Country. He co wrote oh. The Voyage. So let's say outside of Star Trek.
0: Outside of Star Trek, yes.
1: Yeah. He's written books. I've read some of his books they are good. He wrote he writ he wrote um a really good Sherlock Holmes book. Okay. Yeah. He's actually writing another one, I think. Or has written
0: another one. Interesting. Yeah.
1: He wrote a really cool um, Autobiography about his time Working on Trek He did do the 1983 film The Day After He directed that Yep So which Is it a great film? No Not really But okay. Yeah <laughs> um,
0: But although he says
1: he- it wasn't supposed to be
0: No oh, he only wrote on this one here the last thing he directed was Undiscovered Country.
1: That was the last thing he directed. Yeah, he's mostly he mostly he's mostly a writer, I think.
0: Yeah, oh yeah, last thing he directed at all was or for a feature film.
1: Mm. He did some kind of forgettable comedies as well. But
0: Oh, he Uncredited Writer on Fatal Attraction.
1: Mm. Yeah, he's mostly a writer. He does a lot of writing. He was involved in the writing in uh, in season 1 of Discovery but I think a lot of his stuff got rewritten. So whatever his, so whatever his contribution was I have no idea. I see. Yeah and and weirdly enough they didn't ask him back. Like he didn't leave. He's like I would have come back but they just didn't ask me. Oh <sighs> fucking Michelle Paradise.
0: He wrote the, and directed this movie, this sci-fi movie called Time After Time starring yeah. Mary Steenburgen.
1: That's the yeah.
0: Yeah. Not going to go. Yep. I've never seen it interview.
1: I saw it a while ago. Yeah, they, did a, it. they did make a. They did make a TV show out of it at one point. Oh yeah. So. In 2000,
0: canceled it canceled after only five seasons. All right, let's see. Positive reviews from critics. Yeah, no, it's about it like it's
1: about, it's about system. like Jack the R- like H. G. Wells. I think something to do with Jack the Ripper in the night in the then present day. He uses the time machine to. Yeah, that's what I think. That's what it is. It's been a long time. Yeah.
0: <laughs> this review from New York Times: Mister Meyer isn't a particularly skilled director. Um, uh, I think that's a... very clumsy. But as a whiz kid, he's gone straight to the head of the class with a movie that is as sweet as it is clever.
1: I think that's his first directorial film.
0: Yeah.
1: First time as a director. Yeah. So, but he wrote the. I think he wrote the book.
0: Roger, you think of it though.
1: Did he write the book? No, he did not write the book. I thought he wrote the book as well, but no.
0: Oh, they did it on um, sneak previews.
1: (laughs) Well, we're not going to watch that now.
0: No, but recycling.
1: Yeah, we're big Siskel and Ebert fans around here. Around these parts. We enjoy them. Yep. All right. Uh, anything else before we wrap up?
0: That's about it.
1: All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening, and sorry for the delay in getting these last two episodes out. Yes. So, unless we do an episode about, like I said, the maybe the twenty-fifth anniversary of Insurrection, or if another idea happens that we don't
0: expect strikes
1: us, if the mood strikes us, we will do
0: striking us. What? Hopefully no strikes strike us. Yeah. Otherwise
1: <laughs> otherwise. Uh, we'll see you all at the uh, launch of season five and the final season of Star Trek Discovery sometime in 2024. January of twenty twenty-four, you said, right? Um,
0: January to, January to
1: January, April. April. Yeah. All the sites. Yeah. Cool. Alright. Well thanks everybody and we will see you all soon.